We are chatting with Stephen Sanziri, and he is the author of The Ultimate Prey, the, the true story behind the Yosemite Sightseer. The Yosemite Sightseer Murders. And this came out in July 28th of 2012. And his resume is amazing. I don't. We could probably just spend a whole hour just talking about that. But Stephen, thank you for joining me here. Thank you, Greg. We've had um, we've had some talks about uh, so many different things, and um, how a lot of this stuff that we're going to talk about here kind of ties in to the Phil Marshall case, which we kind of feel like we've hit this road roadblock. And every time that we do. Uh, we learn a little bit more. Somebody like like yourself, you know, will come and kind of help us out to try to steer us back into the right direction with the Phil Marshall case and what happened with his with his two um, young teenage children and um, the Calaveras County corruption. I guess you could say. You were saying you had some stats for the Calaveras County. Is that right? Yes, I, I do, Greg. I, I was doing a little bit of research last night, and of course, after I heard the interview with uh, Dan uh, Hannon and Greg Ford, uh, I started looking into a little bit more, and there's was, there was quite a few things that popped up, and I've been a resident on and off of Calvers County for 25 years, and matter of fact, lived in the same town as Philip Marshall, and uh, with his daughter, or son and daughter, Alex and Michaela. Um, and um, one of the things that, that, I, that caught me last night was I, I was pulling up the suicide rate per capita um, in California and Calvers County averages uh, and this is between 2011 and 2014 um, three times the average rate for suicides uh, in the nation as well as uh, Calvers County the stats were um, 30.3 suicides per 100,000 even though Calvers County is about 45,000 people and I thought that was interesting um, and going on the side and parallels of Philip Marshall and the um, suicide, so-called suicide uh, homicide there, um, which we don't believe, um, that shows that these, these, these figures are either highly exaggerated or, or they're, they're, they're way off. You know, I still feel like there's a lot more to be done with the Philip uh, Marshall case. and. There's a lot of strange turns, a lot of strange twists, and um, I think Dan Hennon and Greg Ford have done some great work on it and have really helped kind of steer me back into it because um, there's so many different cases out there. Nobody can keep track of all of these different cases. And um, uh, so I do want to thank you for that. Do you know when was the first time you ever heard of the Philip Marshall case? It was probably about two weeks after uh, it, it occurred, and I, I got a call from um, a friend of mine, and she had uh, told me what had happened, and um, she knew my background and such, and doing the Yosemite Sites Your Murder case, and so I started looking into it a little bit. Um, I didn't uh, didn't take any trips up there. I was actually run, running and managing Aliotas in San Francisco, a fine restaurant on the Fisherman's Wharf. But I, I went up there about two years later and kind of peeked around, and of course, just for my own gratification as far as, you know, seeing what everybody was saying about the house and distances between the neighbors and such, and, you know, being in law enforcement, being around firearms and such, um, there, there's, I don't see any way possible that somebody didn't hear any of the shots, and, and that, that kind of woke me up a little bit, and I, of course, listened to uh, Wayne Madsen and his 
uh, investigation up there, and um, his background is extensive and such. Um, and then I, I, I did buy the, the, the book, The Big Bamboozle, and then 911 False Flag, and I, I went through pretty much most of it. Um, and it, I didn't have to go through all of it. Um, you know, his connection with Barry Seal and the CIA and such, and we'll talk more about that, of course, in Calaveras County, that uh, this is no doubt 100% of the shadow ops, um, black ops hit. Have you read his fictional book, uh, Lakefront Airport? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna send that over to you. I think it's uh, of course it's a quote unquote fiction, but um, sure. really loosely based on uh, Phil Marshall kind of being the taxi driver for Barry for Barry Seal goes into a guy named Tom Ca- Tom Cathy, I believe. Um, Mm-hmm. Oliver North is that is that right? Tom Cathy is that well, right? Oliver North, sure. Yeah. And so it's uh, it's an it's a very interesting book. Um, I did not realize uh, some of the other things that Phil Marshall was involved with, but uh, once I found out he was involved with Barry Seal, it was like okay. And then Barry Seal was tied to David Ferry and. Now we're in John F. Kennedy. <laughs> it's just like, you know, all right. of this stuff definitely ties in. And I know um, you've you've done a this book that you have here about the true story behind the Yosemite sightseer murders. Um, this happened in in the nineties. Is that right? When this happened? The um, the, the three women. It was uh, Carol Sund, her daughter. Uh, uh, Julie's son and her friend uh, Silvina Peloso from Argentina uh, took a road trip up to Yosemite National Park. Uh, Sil- Silvina had never seen the snow, and um, it was a it was a road trip. Julie was uh, visiting um, UOP in Stockton, University of Pacific, um, to go to school there, and they continued on to Yosemite. And um, between February 14th and 15th, 1999, uh, they disappeared. And um, I had a background in um, relationship um, with Mariposa County from my earlier days in, in 1995 when I was actually arrested and indicted on uh, three or four felonies and a few misdemeanors uh, when I was on a bounty. And um, uh, went to court, went all the way to preliminary, preliminary uh, uh, trial, and then a circuit judge came in. Um, and uh, looked at the case and dropped it. I ended up taking like a 415 little low octane misdemeanor and total total um, uh, set up. Um, the guy that accused myself and my partner was a, a nephew of a sergeant in Mariposa County. And and um, and every time I went after this this bounty, and the fellow's name was Cliff Watkins, and um, he was a big player. He was actually a mule for. Uh, transporting the drugs that the Mariposa County Sheriff's Department were um, um, picking up at the airport and taking to Yosemite Park, and this is right after the, the Contra Iran Contra uh, scandal. And um, I started looking into it more, and um, things things weren't working out. On you know, usually you go on a bounty, um, you know, we we caught most of the guys, but we couldn't seem to catch this guy. But he'd be seen in town ten minutes earlier. And I soon found out the Mariposa County Sheriff's Department would notify Cliff Watkins, who was a very, very violent felon. And um, that's the reason we couldn't, couldn't get a hold of him, couldn't grab him um, on, on the bounty. So uh, after I was arrested and such, went through court and all that kind of stuff in the pursuit, um, 
And I, I still was pursuing him even after I was indicted. And it was for a company called Dennis Wyckoff Bail Bonds. Dennis had gotten in some trouble. And uh, the surety company, which was Am West Surety Company, I was kind of their uh, fixer. I'd go out when there was um, uh, extra liability on a bail bond where they couldn't find a guy, and they'd hire me to go get the guy. And so they could re- release the liability for the bondsman. And um, I had hired a private investigator named Ron Adams. And Ron Adams uh, was the former... Angels Camp, uh, which is in Calvers County, it's the only incorporated town in Calvers County. He was the uh, chief of police at one time, and I'd gotten a call from state parole telling me this Cliff Watkins was in custody in Shasta County, California. I called up there, and um, they gave me um, some names also as, as AKAs, also known as, and the, one of the names he used was um, the same name as uh, the guy who accused us, accused us of... Uh, uh, hurting them on a bounty, which we didn't do. His name was Jimmy Jones, the, nep- the nephew of the sergeant. Uh, so we flew on up there, and I called my attorney and such, and we got a copy of the booking sheet. And Jimmy Jones' name was on Cliff Watkins' booking sheet. So we met with Cliff Watkins, and um, definitely the Charles Manson kind of guy, the kind of guy you know, you know wants your daughter to date, that's for sure. <laughs> and um, he basically told me his life was uh, over, and um, he started going in um, chirping like a bird. He was telling us about Mariposa County and where they were hiding the drugs uh, when they came in through the airport. And um, they would be taken uh, to Yosemite Park, but also stored in a cove that Joaquin Murrieta used, you know, 130 years earlier. And uh, this was right after they found uh, uh, Mariposa County Sheriff's Deputy Ron Van Meter. They located his body. It was uh, uh, in Lake McClure. Of course, he was deceased, and it was 10 years um, after he was um, reported missing by his wife, he, he was he was a, a boat patrol deputy on Lake McClure, and um, he was infiltrating and and well, he wasn't digging what what, what was going on. That the other deputies, um, you know, slinging all the dope and everything. And he went to our attorney general in uh, California, and along with a, another uh, deputy named Lucky Jordan, and um, Ron Van Meter came home, and two days later he's he's not found anywhere. And then 10 years later, they found him. Lucky Jordan went to the FBI afterwards and had got witness protection, actually. So he survived. But Mariposa was believed to kill their own deputy. And uh, this is, this, there's a film uh, um, on uh, YouTube that 2020 uh, News went in there for ABC. And they, they infiltrated that and got some interviews and such. So that's pretty interesting. So after the Cliff Watkins ordeal, um, things have, you know, I didn't think about much. Things calmed down. And then here comes the Yosemite murder case. And um, I bailed a guy out named Paul Candler Jr., who resided in uh, Calaveras County. And so um, Paul Candler Jr. jumps bond on me right about the time uh, the girls go missing. And I thought it was strange and such, and it took me several, several months to find him. So we ended up locating him in Alabama um, on, on June 7th, 1999. And um, on June 9th, I should say 10th, the day's off on that with the paper on June 9th, they found uh, a missing person, Dr. Kathleen Wong, a doctor out of Santa Clara County who was skiing up at um, Mount Reba, their valley, which in Alpine County is about 30 miles from Calvert County, where Paul Candler actually lived, right down the road in Calvert County, and it's Highway 4, straight up the road. And um, it was just ironic, a day and a half later, they find the doctor's body. She went missing um, February of 99, uh, four days after. February 19th, four days after the girls went missing, 
And a day after, day and a half after I uh, apprehend Paul Candler in Fultondale, Alabama, uh, they find Dr. Wong's body in Bear Valley. <laughs> so it's kind of you know, ironic. It's not a coincidence by any means. Uh, we believe Paul Candler was a hitman, and it was a hired hit. For for what purpose? I mean, what what's the um, for insurance money? Yeah, they, 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 they looked at the husband, they looked at everybody, but um, the same fellow that uh, I arrested or apprehended for the um, Yosemite murders um, was the same fellow that gave the FBI Dr. Wong's uh, deceased body up in um, Bear Valley. Interesting. Yeah, four wow. days apart on the, on the missing, missing, missing persons. Four days apart also. Um, they're both in the mother load. They're several hours away, but... Um, Paul Candler did live in, in the area of Arnold, California, which is four miles above Murphy's, California, with Philip Marshall, and his, and his kids were uh, murdered. That's weird. That's an amazing, mm. uh, some yeah. interesting area there. Um, the Yosemite sightseer murders, what, what do you, I mean, can you give us maybe a little background on what exactly happened? Um, I, I'm still trying, sure. to, trying to get caught up on that on that case and how this this Carrie Stainer gets found guilty so quickly. Yeah, um, when they when they went missing, um, what happened was is um, Carol's son was supposed to call her um, husband to be they were going to meet him at, at San Francisco at SFO San Francisco uh, International Airport and she didn't show up and that was supposed to be on the 16th of February. 1999, and so um, they started doing a um, searching, and they got a, a you know manhunt. Excuse me, a, a, a manhunt, but a, um, a search and rescue out there for for the gals, and they couldn't find them. They couldn't find them, and about um, six weeks later, they found a burned-out car with the remains of Mrs. Uh, son, Carol's son, and Sylvina Peloso in it, and they were deceased. The car had been torched up the area of Long Barn in Tuolumne County, and that neighbors Calvers County. But where was Julie, the daughter of Carol's son, Julie's son? So um, FBI and everybody's involved with it, task force and Sonora was set up, uh, rewards were set up, $250,000 by the Carringtons, who were a very prominent, prominent family. And, and they were up out of uh, Eureka, California. And um, in about four weeks after that, they found Julie's body uh, right up, right on uh, the down, little downslope that's off of a um, lookout in the parking lot on Lake Don Pedro in Tuolumne County. They found her uh, partially decapitated and deceased. And um, so they're looking for these guys, and the FBI and, and law enforcement ended up rounding, uh, gathered about um, eight or nine suspects uh, in the case. And these are former cranksters and and drug dealers and everything out of that area and Mariposa's heavily, heavily into the, the crank, the methamphetamine. And so they found um, these guys and they had parole tales on them and, and violations and everything else. And um, they just didn't look at Paul Candler, my guy. And I, I'd even written an 18-page report to the Sonora, to the um, FBI task force in Sonora. And I never, you know, I never heard from them. They totally just credited me on this and everything else. So I went to uh, Mr. Carrington's attorney up in Eureka, and Mr. Carrington got a hold of me, and I ended up taking the case. I never charged him anything, that didn't charge him any, any money for that, but um, I, I basically told him, you know, if anybody can handle this, I can. I don't, I'd already had a, a dance with the devil, I call it, 
with Mariposa County who had set me up earlier. And uh, there was a lot of, lot of friction between um, myself and Mariposa and, and the Carringtons. Um, I was told to be taken off the case by Mariposa, this and that. Um, and Mr. Carrington, of course, you know, kept, kept me on that case. So um, in June, I got a call from a gal that uh, I had working for me over in Tuolumne County. And she said, um, I know where Paul, Paul Candler's at. And this gal was a, the stepdaughter of Paul Candler. And they had an estranged relationship. So um, I got a phone number and I called back to Alabama. And it was Summerton, Alabama. And it was, uh, it was June 5th. So my partner and I, after I confirmed they were possibly there, uh, we took a red eye back to uh, Birmingham. And uh, that next day we spotted Paul Candler. So uh, we, he saw us, we saw him, and we ended up getting in a, a pursuit. We lost him. Um, we'd already contacted Jefferson uh, County and um, uh, local jurisdictions that we were there. And um, the day before I left, um, June 5th, uh, so it'll be June 4th, I had at Tuolumne County uh, detectives come over to my house, actually, in Murphy's, and I explained them what I was going to do, and they promised to put Paul Candler into the NCIC, National Criminal, Criminal Information uh, Center. And uh, when I got back there, I spotted Candler. I called the deputy DA, and they'd only put it in the seven western states, so I, could, I couldn't get any cooperation from Alabama law enforcement, so we were on our own. Um, so the next uh, evening, we, uh, we headed out about 11 o'clock, and at midnight, we went to the house. We'd seen him. Uh, we, we pretty much forcibly entered, entered the premise, thinking he was there. And uh, the 911 call came in about the time we were there. Um, and then, we would know it was, let me, let me digress. Uh, Barbara Dobbins' girlfriend was on the phone as we were entering the house, uh, and uh, she was on a phone call. We checked the caller ID, those little ones used to have the, the name and such and the location number, and it was coming from Birmingham, Birmingham Alabama, days in, and the name said Paul Gear. And I knew that was, that was Candler. So Candler made the first mistake he made, which, which benefited our, our manhunt. Is he called 911 and uh, Jefferson County deputies rolled out. It's you know 12, 12, 15. It's late. About four or five came here, came to the uh, scene, and um, I had, I had wanted posters I'd made, and I usually pass these out when I have a hard time finding a guy and such. And um, and the FBI called me, like I said, uh, about getting rid of my wanted posters. I think I explained earlier to you the day I was there. The FBI knew I was there, and um, these deputies had my wanted poster in their back pockets and said, "Your guy is, is now the number one manhunt." number one suspect uh, in, in um, Alabama. So we had everybody looking for him. And um, so the deputies left and we kind of followed him in toward Alabama to uh, Birmingham and then up toward Fulton, Alabama. And um, it was a full manhunt, it was a full grid search, four or five agencies involved. Uh, grid, grids were set up on the highway. And um, we found a motel where he was at and just, he just split. Even the beer, the beer he had in the hotel room was still cold. So we just missed them, and um, so they were calling for, um, there was some, like, swamp water and such. They were actually going to bring some, just like U.S. Marshals, they were going to bring these guys out in those little swamp boats with, you know, big spotlights and, and 30 sixes and all that. That's how they handled it back there. <clears throat> and um, that would become, sun, become uh, when, the, when the sun breaks in the morning. And so we looked, and we looked, and we hit a couple more uh, motels. It was like a motel row. It was like six of them lined up. And uh, I think it was a Super 8. And uh, we went there, and a gal identified him, positively identified him. She even said he, he smelled like the swamps. 
And the registration on the hotel register was Dave Gear. So it was Paul Candler. So we surrounded the, the motel, and it was a corner room, and they were bringing everybody in. Um, you know, it was, you know, by now, it got, I think it was like 4.30 in the morning, and you could hear the, 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 the patrol cars, the gravel, gravel kind of crunching up above us, and, and the guys were out with, with high-powered rifles, the whole nine yards. And my partner and I were at the, the front door. I, I volunteered to go ahead and, and be the entry guy, because you, know, you take responsibility when you're a bail bondsman for your, for your liability and your, um, your bounties. So um, just as the sun broke, the curtains moved, and um, I had, I had, a, had my you know, nine millimeter out and such, and he came out like a wildcat right at me, and we went to the ground, and he was trying to get my gun, and I'm trying to fight him, and all of a sudden, these guys are big quarter guys, and they don't mess around, and a big pile in there, and we, we, we secured Paul Candler, and they took him in, and we ended up taking him to Fultondale uh, City Jail, and um, the FBI was on their way and everything, and um, now I've considered him a main suspect. They, they wouldn't have given us that much attention uh, if he wasn't good for the Yosemite case. Hmm. And what, whatever happened, what happened to him? What happened was is, uh, he immediately he fought extradition. So uh, they had to get a governor's warrant out of California to bring him back. And that, that's kind of something that tells you might be a little bit guilty, guilty also. So they, uh, they brought him back to uh, California a month later, and um, I get a call, I got maybe a week or so after that, from a neighbor in Alabama saying, this guy's back. And I was thinking, what? <laughs> you sure it's the same guy? And it was. Paul Candler was back, and, which is really strange because uh, Merced County had warrants on him. Um, he, um, <clears throat> he, he, he threatened and attempted to kill his own mother. So, you know, how, what's this guy you know, running around? A loose for you. There was no restraint on him or anything. So um, the pressure was put on and everything else, and he ended up going away about six months later. He, 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 just, I don't know, he pulled a robbery or something, but um, six months later they, they, uh, they convicted him of uh, sexual abuse of a, a 12-year-old girl, and he, did, he went away 12 years into Hatchby uh, State Prison. That's in, uh, where's that? Hatchby. 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 It's, it's right out, out down by um, Bakersfield. Oh, okay. All right. It's, um, it's, it's by off of 58 in the Mojave, that area. Um, so it's down the south, down there. Um, what's interesting is Pan, Can, excuse me, Paul Candler was paroled in 2017, and he was paroled to Wilseyville in Calaveras County, and that's, that's the same location, Charles Ng, uh, and Leonard Lake, um, and also the Speed, the Speed Freak Killers. We're very close to that too. So this is a, this is a very very dangerous area up there. Most people really, you know, if they really look into it, you know, maybe they don't want to. But um, uh, this goes on to everything back into Calaveras County. So um, uh, I wrote the book in 2012, uh, published it, and everything. And um, uh, during my 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 um, travels, uh, it's probably about a year after I'd caught Candler. Um, I started looking into other suspects, and that opened up a lot of doors. And, and, and with, you know, with um, my, with Michael Larwick and his half brother Eugene Dykes, with uh, the shooting of um, Officer Silva at a Modesto PD, and, and during these during and during these uh, manhunts for these guys when these summary murders happened, they all had ties to Calaveras County. Um, Michael Larwick um, had extensive rape charges and things like that. Um, and matter of fact, when he was being pulled over as a suspect in 
Yosemite case, he opened fire on uh, Steve Silva, Modesto motorcycle officer. Steve was hit a couple times. He survived, but there was uh, 30, 30 uh, rounds of ammunition exchanged between the, the two of them. And uh, Mike, Michael, or Mick, Mick Water, what they call him, he uh, commandeered a house with some people on it, in it. So it was, uh, uh, it was a, like a 14-hour standoff, and they, they got him out, and his half-brother did the same thing. You know, this is why Kerry Spanner didn't do it alone, because when you go to pull somebody over and they, they start shooting at you in the middle of a case like this with an extensive criminal history and, and um, you know, meth and rape and all this kind of stuff, um, and every, everybody else they rounded up gave them some problems also, and that's when they came out with nine suspects, and um, they ended up only convicting one. Why, why, just, why just one? Just not enough to convict the other? Eight. No, um, when you when you look at it, uh, George, George Cleese from Cavda posted some stuff, and the, the, it's involved that the drug, as you know, the drug trades go go all the way up. You know, we're talking with the first with the Contras and um, drugs for guns and such. Um, there were some power brokers involved that were protecting these guys. Um, I believe Paul Canley was a hitman for for this group. Uh, Larwick and his, his brother were big dope dealers. And um, there was going to be a lot, a lot of people brought down, big careers and, and such, if any of these guys um, were, you know, were convicted in the case, or, or they wanted, they wanted, you know, if they were going to be convicted, they might, they might talk. And so, um, Kerry Spanner, he was the fall guy. Um, you know, he, he, he killed the three women. Uh, if he did, it was with other people. He didn't do it alone. And there's no way he. Every time he went to a, uh, one of the hotel rooms or was hanging out by the pool with a spa at Cedar Lodge, and that's in El Patel, right between Mariposa and Yosemite Park. He was always with somebody. Um, uh, when I interviewed the mayor of Modesto, uh, Carmen Sabatino, um, he was staying there with a, with a gal, and uh, he, he positively identified Kerry Spainer and Paul Candler, my guy, that came to the door. And so um, Kerry Spainer had access to the rooms, um, didn't fit the MO of a serial killer or anybody like that, but um, when they found Joey Armstrong, um, and that was about six months after the Yosemite murders, and they found they found her decapitated, uh, and she lived in a little area called Forestra, and that's right there by El Portal. And she was a um, naturalist; she'd take kids out for hikes and such in Yosemite. And it's believed to be Kerry Stainer uh, had murdered um, Joey Armstrong by himself, and everything leads to that. Um, and the reason for that is, believe it or not, when, um, when, when Rollins um, interviewed him after he was captured um, up at the um, uh, Laguna de Sol, um, nudist colony in Sacramento, um, he wanted a TV movie just like his brother, Stephen Stainer, who was, who was the, um, the kid years ago, the, the book, I Know My Name Stephen, written by Mike yeah. Eccles, and there was a movie about it and such, right? And so he wanted the publicity, and that's what he—that's what he, he said he did that. But he did not—he um, didn't—he didn't put hands on as far as Julie and uh, Sylvina and, and uh, Carol's son. There were several people involved in that, and you know, one of the things is that the, the mo, the, the modus operandi, we call it. The mo's were different. You got a burned car, and then you, then you got a gal that was, um, you know, found over by Lake Don Pedro. Um, and we're talking about this child trafficking and stuff. I look back, and I think because Julie, Julie was held for about six weeks. Uh, they had gang raped her, drugged her up, and everything. Uh, really, really tortured her, you know. 
and um, then they got rid of her up there. But they they were looking for blonde gals and such. And she she looked young. She's 15, but she looked younger. And I I think you know when we talk about all the stuff that's going on now and even back then, um, she you know they were targeted. You know it was an inside job at the hotel, Cedar Lodge, because they were put up in an area in February, which was this whole separate building where nobody else was at. And so this 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 thing goes between the drug trades and the the trafficking back then and the people involved um you know Mariposa County was involved in drug trafficking we know that and so these these this is a group of um bad guys that were going out and doing the dirty work and they were protected by some very powerful some very powerful right people, it sounds like yes they were yeah yeah they should yeah, they should were <laughs> all in the same area yes yes absolutely um and you know, look, you look at the Shermantine and Herzog and Charles Ng. Charles Ng thing might be a little bit early, but with the Speed Freak Killers, the thing that's going on, um, you know, they, they Calvers County, they found uh, seven bodies um, in, in um, Maloney's Reservoir, or Lake Maloney's, as some people call it. They found seven bodies that were tied into Russian um, bank laundering and, and, and such. They brought, and those, all those people were actually brought up from Los Angeles and dumped there. Um, you know, why Calaveras County? You know, right. it seems to be falling into an awful lot of what's going on. And, 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 you know, those counties up there, you know, I don't know how Calaveras now is exactly with the new sheriff and such. But um, even we talked about the marijuana grows up there. Um, we spoke earlier about um, the 800 uh, commercial marijuana grows in 2015 that were um, approved. And there was no, there's no county or jurisdiction in the United States that has even come close to allowing that many or at least those, those years then. And um, like Pennsylvania, I think they allowed 25 marijuana grows for the whole state. And Calvers County, a, town of, a county of 40,000 people, they have 800 permits. This thing, you know, that was set up as a, as a, a litmus test, the grassroots thing to see. And, you know, there was a, you know, there was a lot of organized crime involved uh, with the marijuana grows in Calvers County. It brought people from Florida. Um, I worked for G Pharma as a security consultant. Uh, when they were had plants that were taken, and I, I saw how those guys operated even. So there was a, there was a bigger agenda, larger, much larger agenda, related to the meth and even the cocaine. Yeah, I'm curious what it, what it's like up up there now. I, I mean, I can only guess that it's not gotten better. It's probably gotten worse. Maybe the operation is a lot more sophisticated now. Uh, I'm wondering now that uh, with the weed being legal, um, I wonder how mm-hmm. that uh, affects all of all of this stuff too. And it's probably going to make it easier for them to to get involved with some of this other some of these other crimes here. But I, I'm just so fascinated how you connect all of these dots, <laughs> and you do it so articulate and so well. And and you're like right in the middle of all of this stuff and course we got to ask the question you know i'm sure you get this all the all the time but you know do you do you feel like you're in any in any danger do you obviously at some point you did but um and your story just reading through some of the notes that that you sent me and i will um probably play those uh or probably read those out um in post production or, or something just because it's so fascinating and I think it's going to really help a lot of people understand the stuff that we're talking about mm-hmm. but um, do, you, do you have any fears about you know uh, going into the dancing with the devil I guess would be the best way to yeah. say it 
Um, no, I, I, I did. I, I posted two years ago when um, I, things, funny things were going on. Um, and I'd come back up from San Francisco and I, I, I was actually running some uh, yacht charters um, for a very good friend, Captain Larry Murray. And um, so we're chartering out of San Francisco. And, and I, I, there was some funny things going on around um, South Beach Pier 40. And I didn't pay much attention to it. But I'd come back and I had a couple more... Um, uh, yachts that I was uh, working on. I did engine work as well as even crewing and such. And I'd come back and, you know, these things would be infiltrated. And I, like, you know, am I seeing things? But, you know, it's, it, I was, I was kind of give the uh, a parallel of um, you come back f- from going to the store or something like that. You know, you, not whether you have a sense or not, but you can tell something in your home has been moved, you know. And these yachts, I mean, they're not that big. And, and you, you know, you live on them and such. And um, so I, I come back after a trip or so for a couple of days, and they, you know, they would get, they were, you know, say broken into, but they, they usually have a, a up in the V-berth, they'll have a hatch, or up down at the, the aft, they'll have a hatch, and they need these, and you, you, they have to be able to be open from the inside, they're not locked, and you can, you can jimmy them pretty well. And then I started talking to some of the other boat owners there in San Francisco, and uh, they were having problems like their batteries would be drained and things like this. And so um, it, it's kind of a spooky place out there because, you know, I'm out by myself about 200 yards on a pier, and I'm the only guy out there. You know, even though there's 800 boats and yachts and sailboats and such, but, you know, and go back at night. It's a yacht club and everything, but at nighttime, it's kind of, it's kind of spooky. And um, that's when I first started kind of thinking. I called eyes on me. And so I went up the back up to Calaveras County. My daughter was up that way and such. And um, I was in between places. I stayed at a hotel here, a friend's house, kind of. Thinking where I want my where I want to go next, and um, uh, I, I just see things you just notice out of the ordinary, and, and you know, being former law enforcement and a narcotics cop and, and a, a bail agent and a bounty hunter and a PI, and, you know, I picked up a lot of things over the years, and uh, that just just started right, and um, I started just uh, you know, when I came back to my hotel room, which uh, was about a year and a half ago, and I'm actually in this business now, the spy camera detection business, because of this, I found two cameras in my hotel room. Um, so I knew some, some stuff was going on. Um, I, I can't get into depth on it. It's actually, it's, it's posted on Cab Depth and um, another site I'll, I'll give you. Actually, I wrote it down with the National Coalition for Men. I posted something, but they picked up my story on it. I called eyes on me. And at that time, I started thinking, what's going on? So I started looking into Sherry Seymour's book, The Last Circle. And that was written about Calvers County and the mysterious death of Danny Casarello, who was one of the guys who was breaking the Iran-Contra um, uh, stuff just, just say about the same time Gary Webb was. And of course, both those guys met their demise. Uh, uh, interestingly, it was suicide, and apparently the other one was, they say maybe he was killed, I don't know. But um, I started tracking Mariposa, and I said, you know, how, how far do I want to reach this thing? And Sherry had written about uh, Inslaw and Promise Software and such, and I looked into it more, and uh, Promise Software. Um, and this was a software that everybody wanted. The Department of Justice wanted it. It was a, it was a tracking system for all the judicial, uh, uh, judicial cases, uh, crimes, uh, all that kind of stuff in the United States. And uh, she was, they were offered big money. The, the, the Hamiltons were the ones who invented it. Well, the attorney on that was uh, Hillary Clinton when she was with Rose's Law Group, okay? And, and she was with Rose's Law Group um, back with, you know, Bill just became governor and such and we got me to Arkansas and, and we have the airport there and everything else and Barry Seal and Philip Marshall 
So I started looking at that, and Sherry writes extensively about it in her book, The Last Circle. It's a very, very good read. And it talks about Mariposa and such, um, as well as when Dennis McDougall, the L.A. Times reporter, who wrote the first book on Yosemite murders, also wrote The Last Mogul, which ties in Yosemite uh, and possible drug trade through the Iran-Contra uh, dealings uh, in his book also. So when I started looking at there's a possibly a Clinton relationship into Mariposa, and I have Cliff Watkins who's telling me what's going on with the drug trade with the sheriff's departments and such. Um, I, I, I stepped on some toes, and I didn't know when I wrote the book, and I really didn't know until about two years ago. And that's when things started happening. Right now I'm in great shape. Um, I, you know, people know where I'm at. I'm not hiding or anything like that. And I'm not, you know, I'm really not scared anymore. Um, and some people will give it, oh, you know, they would have got you if they would have got you. Well, I, you know, I take a little credit for surviving, you know, so many bounties and, and, and being on the streets of the cop and everything. But um, I, I don't think I'm a threat to them any longer. I've actually called them out um, publicly to try to stop this. I've had weird phone calls to, I, I outside of an apartment one night, two in the morning, there's three guys out there that, that were, you know, kind of hanging out looking at the apartment. Um, and like I said, it gets more into depth. But, um, I'm not putting myself in the same level as Philip Marshall, but you know, he he was he he was extinguished, for lack of a better uh, better word, um, because he's probably the last man that could do anything about 911. And I feel maybe with somebody case, and I and I have no um, goal to open that case up whatsoever. Um, if I could get an interview with Kerry Stainer in San Quentin, oh, I'd take it. But um, I think they realize that now. But uh, Mariposa as well as possibly Calvert's County. And we talked about some cells that were possible um, CIA connections, which we know, you know, I do know about, um, is that, that that area up there uh, is, is a hotbed for a lot of screwy things. And um, when I found out about Inzalaw and Promise Software and, and it went to you know, Hillary Clinton with the Rose Law Firm, um, you know, those drugs, uh, probably a large percentage of the cocaine uh, industry um, was being uh, moved through uh, Mariposa County. Right in the middle of, of all of this. Um, so right. From from your view, this all ties in. There is a tie here between uh, all of this and Philip Philip Marshall. You, you definitely think he was he was taken out. He did not commit. Uh, ab- absolutely. Um, it, you know, it, just on just on the surface. You know, and you know, we, we can go with there was no suicide note. Uh, we can go with oh, nobody you know kills the dog, little shih tzu. Uh, you know, we can go through all that. The bottom line is, he wrote a book. Uh, he wrote, well, he wrote what, three books total. He had a fourth book coming out. Like Wayne Matson said, and I, I think Greg Ford touched on this, that it was going to be the one that really was going to blow the top off things. You know, mm-hmm. and um, they can't have that. They he can't allow that to get out. And you know, and it's, you know, people think, oh, the government never kill kids. Uh-uh. You know, take another look. They'll take anybody out. And, you know, they took the dog out so it wouldn't continuously probably bark for four hours or five, you know. Um, so they, there's, there's no rules when it comes to, to a government uh, in, or, you know, whatever black ops shadow company is hired to go ahead and do these things. And, um, you know, it, it was a professional hit. Um, and dealing with the Candler up there, which I don't think, you know, you know, in fact, he was in Tehachapi at the time. I, you know, it definitely was, it was a shadow company kind of, kind of gig that came in. Very, you know, high, high-end professional, um, uh, you know, extermination team that did that. You know, no mistakes, nothing else. And, you know, how, you know, we talked about Calvers County. I, you know, I, I, 
I know Kevin Raggio. You know, I bartended a short time in Angel's Camp at Crossing's Corner, and Kevin came in, and, you know, and this is after, you know, all this happened, and I never, you know, I never brought it up or anything. I just, I, where was I going to get, you know? But um, it was interesting, you know, I thought he was a pretty good guy, but, you know, if, if the CIA or, or somebody comes in and says this is how it's going to be, the Sheriff's Department is going to do what they, what, they, what they tell them to do. Um, and looking at Cal versus Pass, I had problems with them with some other cases and such. Um, they, they have no problems sweeping stuff under the rug. And, um, you know, Kevin's not going to come out and call anything different than what they told him to call it. Interesting. Yeah, he was a, he was a curious one. My friend um, Chris had um, spoken with him. And uh, they, uh, you know, he, he, one of the things that Chris told me is that Kevin Raggio said that um, the uh, incident, I'm trying to pull up the actual quote here, but he said that the incident was um, suspicious the way he said it. Let me see if I can find that quote because it was very, uh, hopefully I have it here. Um, they were. talking about a silencer Chris asked do you find uh, do you find that sus suspicious so Chris Chris then wondered how one of two one of the two teenagers would not wake up to the sound of a gunshot that was a few feet from their ears because uh, we, we were told that both of the kids were, were sleeping when they were shot and obviously well unless they were drugged or something like that how does one of them and they're both sleeping on, on the same couch so how does one of them get shot and the other doesn't wake up and Chris asked him, do you find that suspicious? He said, no, I don't find that sus suspicious. He says, um, uh, it's a mystery, It's, but it's not suspicious. It's like, well, if it's a mystery, if it's mysterious, I, how is that not? It just sounds like he's just kind of, like he said, he's basically, you know, he's got his talking points. He's told what he should go with, and, and that's really it. Um, he's not really open to the fact, well, wait a minute, you know, how does that happen? And there's these little things that we find out that um, just don't really sit well, and it doesn't really, you know, lead us to think that uh, Philip Marshall is guilty. Um, but he said, uh, well, Chris said, you don't find it suspicious that a gunshot wouldn't wake up a child. And Kevin Raggio said, well, not, I don't, looking at the same scene, I mean, yeah, it's m mysterious in my mind, but I don't find it suspicious as far as it makes me wonder, like I said, uh, it makes me wonder if one of them heard anything, but do I find it suspicious? I don't find it suspicious. I don't suspect that from what I can see. It is what, you know, what we determined it was. It was a murder-suicide. And uh, he says, it, not to my knowledge, my job is not to determine the cause of death. I don't deal with the criminal aspect of, of the whole thing. Um, but yet he's pretty much, you know, dealing with the aspect of the whole thing. It, it appears to be what it is. When you shoot yourself, you're standing up. There's a considerable amount of blood splatter that goes in every direction. The blood, the blood splatter, unless somebody was floating 
they would have, in my mind, had to have tracked in that blood splatter. So uh, he's uh, pretty much saying, you know, well, there's, there's no way that it couldn't have been. It, it, it had to have been Philip, Philip Marshall. Now, at that point, we didn't know anything about how Philip Marshall had died. We didn't know that the cops thought that Philip Marshall was standing up and then shot himself uh, next to the front door and somehow the gun falls underneath him too which is kind of weird so there's a lot of things like that I won't read the whole the whole thing but um, uh, then Chris kind of asked him about if if he if he was standing up and Kevin Raggio said yeah Uh, Kevin Raggio also didn't believe that a foreign country like Saudi Arabia staged these deaths to appear as a double murder suicide I've heard all these conspiracy theories and all this other stuff, and in my mind, if you're a foreign country, you're coming after Phil Marshall, you'd send somebody in. I'm Italian, so I'd send for the boys in Sicily, and they'd come in, and you know, you know what I mean? It'd be like this, uh, the boy from from Italy would come, (laughs) and he doesn't give a damn if it looks like a murder or a suicide. They're going to put bullets in your head, and they're going to leave, and that's going to be it. But in this case, why would you go out of your way to stage it as a murder-suicide? What do you think about that? <laughs> uh, is that, is that? Is that verbatim from Kevin? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. wow. First off, I, is, is, it, is it the postmaster that determines the cause of death? I don't know. I, maybe I'm on another planet. <laughs> you know? I mean, come on, Kevin. You know, I mean, it's... You know, when you start rambling on like that, you know, it's a bunch of, excuse my language, a bunch of horse duty, you know. Um, it, 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 it's too, there's too much against it not being, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, a homicide, three, three homicides in a dog, you know. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the witnesses to the, to the white vehicles. And you know what, the Saudi Arabia thing, okay, you know, it's, you know, we know with the 911 in the bushes, you know, maybe we're reaching on that a little bit, but you know, the bottom line is, it's, it's you know, it wasn't guys from Saudi Arabia. It could have been guys from Sacramento, or you know, there's, 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 there's. You'd be surprised how many people out there, you know, that there's, you know, as far as hit, hit, you know, hired hits and and hitmen and such. But it was something like this, and you know, something Greg brought up, and um, is the the post postman, um, and that's a rural area. So the rural carriers, they usually they usually drop stuff. They have those boxes that are conglomerated. Maybe there's 12. You know, they don't really knock on doors and do all, unless you got a package. But you know, it, that's that's a you know, a smart infiltration is you know, a, a bailman. I mean, you know, when you see you know any car parks in front of you've been up there. If you park a car in front of somebody's house, you I mean you'll notice it right away. That car doesn't belong there. You know, um, and a mailman he can get in and around all, all he wants. Uh, you know, if you want to put a, a you know a seed into a cell as a post. Post uh, postal delivery guy, you know, one call from wherever they can get that guy into San Andreas. Um, you know, I could see that go happening. Um, I do know the area very well. I, you know, I, I was a partner in the Clubwoods Country Club, so I, I've golfed at Forest Meadows. And that back road that goes out there it goes along. I forget which holes they are, but that back road comes on the other side of the golf course. You know, they could go in and out of that. And I know, I, I believe, you know, the, the the shootings were earlier in the morning. Um, and it was interesting too is um, is the uh, New Orleans Saints were playing that day. Philip Marshall would not have done that on uh, you know the weekend of a game. Yeah, that was you Super Bowl Sunday, I think, if I remember correctly. Yes, it was. Yeah, and who was playing? Yeah, New Orleans. They were playing. Yeah, I right. Who they were 
And so, I mean, that, you know, that, that there, you know, that kind of, that kind of tells me F you to Philip Marshall. You know, they could have picked a Thursday. They could have picked Monday after the game. They picked it and it was on a Sunday. They, they're trying to, the, the time of death is kind of varies between one and a half and three days or whatever it is. I, I don't know, you know, um, and so I'm not, I'm not, you know, specific on that, but, you know, he sure wouldn't have killed himself uh, or the kids before the game. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, that's the little, being a little light on that and apologize, but I, there's no way. Uh-uh. He was, he was the biggest fan, uh, you know, knew Sean Payton. As a matter of fact, I grew up with Sean Payton for a short time in the Bay Area. He was an extra neighbor, if you can believe that. We were kids. But um, there's no way that, um, that he would do that. So to me, that was a step. That, that, to me, that, that, that's a big smoke signal. That sticks out to me like, really? You know what? That, that just, it almost, it's almost insult to injury, you know? Is, is the, we're going we're gonna to take care of this before the game. I mean, really. I mean, so that, that, big, that part of it there kind of rubbed me a little bit wrong. Um, and so I don't think it was just happenstance or coincidence they picked that time. I think it was on purpose. That is, that is a great point. That I th- it's one of the great points that I think gets overlooked, too. Um, right. I think Philip Marshall mm-hmm. didn't own own a gun until maybe a week or so before. I remember reading something about um, he had purchased, I don't know if it was a gun or bullets, um, from a big five, and they have him on camera doing doing that. We had mm-hmm. went up to um, to the grocery store, and we had asked some of the people there, you know, did they notice any anything weird or anything strange about Marshall? And they were like, no, he was, you know, everything seemed seemed fine. He didn't seem crazy. He didn't look like, you know, they didn't notice anything uh, strange about him. So, but yet all of a sudden he's just supposed to have snapped and to have killed mm-hmm. himself and killed his kids mm-hmm. why kill the the kids too it just it doesn't make any any sense um i don't know if you know this or not but the gun was found in inverted so the gun was pressed up to the right side of his head and it was found inverted and i was like well what does that mean it's like so he is actually upside down or the gun the, the the head of the other gun whatever you call it um the uh the barrel right so barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, and i guess and i forget which hand it, it was but when you kind of look at it it doesn't really make sense for him uh to have shot himself in that way with the gun first of all i've never really heard of anybody you know if you're going to point the gun to your to your head you're not going to have the gun upside down. I've never heard of heard of that. So I thought that was kind of strange too. How does how does that happen? And then I guess it was supposed to be with with um, uh, let's see, with, was on the right side of his head. Yeah, it's it's just you know it, it's these little tiny pieces that we just kind of got, and I think they were just hoping that everybody would just kind of. Uh, stop talking about it and just you know say that this guy was was just crazy he had some mental problems he believed in 9-11 conspiracies and but you know he was a he was a pilot and um, it's these pilots I guess you know it's a very I don't want to call it a cult but it's kind of rare you know it's everybody knows each other in that business and um, you know that's how we were able to get some other little little facts out too of just where Philip Marshall was apparently running around you know not being very quiet about his CIA ties too 
and being vocal about that. Do you think that could have caused him some issues? No, he 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 was as soon as he as soon as he typed the first page on the, the false flag and big bamboozle, he was he was probably he was probably doomed. Um, you know that that's one of the reasons that, like with myself, I looked into uh, big, large, large publishers, vanity publishers. I published my book myself, but they don't want to touch those kind of stories. Um, you know, if you say if you if you're all pro, you know George Bush and we did our best and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, you know, and it's 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 it doesn't um, doesn't cause any friction against um, you know the 911 and you're not a conspiracy nut. They'll publish your book, but as soon as you come out against what the what the you know general populace believes or what or what everybody's telling you, they won't touch the book. I mean, I know that from just being being a writer. Um, and I, you know, I got questions about with the, all the, the so-called gunplay in the house and things like that. And you know, you know I mean, one thing is that you know, I like to see the, the gunshot residue uh, off of uh, off of his hand, off his fingers. If he fired this gun, you know, we always always wipe you know your hands, your fingers, wherever. And you know, and I like to see the pictures of um, the tattooing from the weapon. How close was the weapon to him? You know. Um, apparently, Greg said that the kids were asleep. They, they, they probably shot the dog first downstairs. They came up, they shot the kids, and I guess whatever commotion, Philip came out of the bedroom. And if he's toward the door, it tells me he was probably trying to get out of there. He saw it. He went, "Oh, you know what? You know, oh, this is going on." You know, and so as soon as he went to the kids, uh, probably a, a person, the shooter or shooters. He saw, you know, your first thing is going to be flight. He's going to run. So they got him. But, uh, you know, have you seen the crime scene pictures, the photos? No, no. We never got any, any photos. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, you know if we that, should, that's possible. Yeah. I'd like to see the crime scene sketch. Yeah. Even that, you know, and, and where his body is at compared to this and that. And, yeah, apparently, you know, you know, the records are there. They purchased the gun not too long before that. Um, and, you know, he had a feeling... Just like I said, what was going on with me after, you know, several years after the book, you know, um, is that, um, um, you know, you, you, you say you just, you know, we're, we're old enough. You know, we have we have that sixth sense. We know when somebody's something's not right. You know, you, go, you know, well, that's so we made so many cases as police officers just on our, our gut instincts, you know, and that that's a big part of it. And it felt, you know, he, he knew what it was. He knew what he, as, soon, as soon as this next book was coming out, Wayne Matz. Wayne Matson had spoke to some of Phil's relatives, and one of them was uh, uh, government law enforcement. And you know, and he, he was kind of he was kind of worried about him too. And I guess the next book was really going to really do a number on the whole uh, theory on 911, and um, you know that that's what happened there. But he, you know, he probably knew the risk. There's no way he, that that was acceptable in any way. But um, the risk like that, I don't think he knew it was going to go that far. But um, if he went out, got a you know, after books published. How many years earlier, and all of a sudden he goes and gets a gun, um, something was up. Well, this says, according to their documents, they, they uh, all, all that we have is, a, I think it's a six-page press release where they talk about, you know, everything that, that they found there. And they say that in October of 2011, Marshall purchased a Glock 9mm handgun from a gun store in Turlock. The gun was registered to him. And on January 27, 2013, which is uh, about maybe a week or so before, maybe two weeks before this happened, Marsha was videotaped purchasing ammunition from Big Five sporting goods in Sonora. 
so you know, I guess we can assume he might have had mm-hmm. the gun okay. for a, a year or two. Sure, he did. Okay. Probably didn't have bullets though. Uh, oh, okay, there you go. That, that that's my my mistake. Yeah, then the bullet the bullets are, are what he purchased closer to the incident. The gun was purchased earlier. Okay, so it was right. the bullets. Okay. Now here's here's the yeah. crazy thing. The the same clothes that he was wearing on January 27th are the same clothes that he was found in. Um, when when his body was found on February second, so I thought I just thought that that was kind of weird. Maybe you know it's it's a week. Maybe he's only got a one week's worth of clothes, and um, but it just seemed kind of interesting too. And he he paid cash mm. for those bullets, mm-hmm. so I don't know. You know that's that's another thing mm-hmm. that kind of st- kind of stands out. He's he's paying cash for this. That's you know maybe not too unusual, but. Sonora, how far is Sonora from um, from Murphy's? It's not that close, is it? Oh yeah, it's it's only about thirty five minute drive. Thirty five minute drive. Okay. Yeah, it's it's slow because of the roads, but if you as a crow flies, it's only about ten miles. If you could fly a plane over there, it's not that far. You just go across the bridge and you're in there. Not that far, no. And, um, and there's really no gun shops or anything really left in Calaveras County. I don't think then. Um, you know, it, you know, if if we, let's just say he's wearing the same clothes, you know, um, he may have been. You know, listen, I, I know I know the two kids that so looked through the window and saw Philip on it, saw Philip or the kids. I think he saw they saw Philip. I know that I'm very close to the two children. Um, they went to school with my daughter, also at Bret Hart with Alex and Michaela, and so they're the one I never spoke to him about, but they're the ones who apparently looked through the window. When people started calling and say, "Hey, where's the kids?" and that they usually won't do it in a day or so. Maybe Philip was actually murdered um, the day of. He bought the bull. He bought the bullets because you know that means they had. You know, this, when you put a hit on something like this, these guys have been watching him for months. You know, they're watching every habit, every time he flushes a toilet, whatever happens. They want this down to a T because we're, we're creatures of habit. And you know, he took a walk with that gal every day or whatever. I didn't know about him wearing having the same apparel on. So it tells me is that when they got when he went to get bullets, they knew that there was going to be a defensive situation. And hey, what's better if you can drop a shadow off sky in your house? You know, great. They probably put him up for murder, and the guy was probably you know the second coming. They'd make that up. But the point is, if he was in the same attire, you know, the man had money. You know, the, you know, you know, having this. I mean, I don't. I haven't seen pictures. I mean, I, they're saying that who said that he had the same clothing on a week uh, later or whatever. That's in the Calaveras County. That's in their their six page press release. Which which really? I will, yeah, I will send that over to you. I, I do have a copy. Oh, I love to see it. Yeah, I, I think you'll probably be hmm. able to pick out some more good stuff here. Since you're an experienced person, you know me. I'm just looking at this like I don't really know. That's why I keep going over and over it. Like what it, what, mm. what am I missing here? What are they? You know, and and really what I'm looking for is just anything that will help. Um, show that Philip Marshall is guilty, and the more that I look at it, it's like this just this just does not make sense. It, it should not be this complicated. There shouldn't be so many questions if it's just a simple mm-hmm. you know, guy for whatever reason decides to kill his kids and then kill kill him. Sure. Himself. You know, I mean, he can't. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say after everything that that he's done, how involved he was with with his kids' lives. It doesn't make sense. There's no motive for it. No, it doesn't. Um, a couple, a couple other uh, bullet points. Um, I spoke to my daughter right after it happened, and I, you know, just and 
you know, he killed his kids. And okay, I didn't, you know, it's my daughter. She's like, she's like 13 then, whatever. And, you know, everybody was pretty upset about it. But you know, he's he's been vilified in the area for this. The average person up there is going to think this is what, you know, this is what the police report says. It's, it's you know, it's a homicide, suicide. And then we know it's not. I mean, I, I bet the, I bet the, the, the farm on it, um, just from my experience. Um, it, so you know, and that's why I, when I joined you guys facebook group you know i it vilify this guy and you know listen you know everybody i don't that didn't i didn't know the man but what i can see you know it was it was a hit um is you know it's just to clear his name you know and, and that's why I, I, that would be my that's my goal i guess in a, in a, in a short way is you know this, this man didn't do this you know and, and everybody up there you know the time it's brought up and i spoke to a couple of people after it that happened and they oh yeah they, they, they go along with what calvary's county says on that and you know, you can't argue with them. It's like it's almost like nine one one. It's like nine one one. You know, as people believe it was, it didn't happen that way, and some do. And the same with this man. This man did, didn't do what uh, everybody up there thinks he did. Um, and you know, there's some people who know some things that may not want to speak out. Um, Calvers County's, you know, it's a screwy area, and I, I don't think it has the, you know, the, the, the corruption is more in, as far as the politics up there. Some, the, you know, the, from boards of supervisors that I've seen coming in and out, the people that I knew what they did. You know, watching the drug trade up there and things like that. Um, it, you know, the, the, the deputy on the street up there probably doesn't know, has no idea what's going on with the department. You know, um, you know, I know I know Chris Hewitt a little bit. I didn't know Gary Coons, the former sheriff up there. Um, but you know, there's some good guys up there. Some of these kids played football and baseball for me. I used to coach varsity at Bret Hart High School as assistant coach. So some of my kids I'm proud of are, are one's lieutenant now, Anthony Everhart, great guy. But you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't dare go to them because you're going to back their department and such. But um, I think it's the main thing is to try to clear Philip's name. Yeah, yeah, you definitely. Know? Yeah, I I think one week after this murder happened, these murders happened. Um, I was up there trying to talk with some people, uh, and ev- everybody knew about it. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was shocked. Even um, there was a newspaper person. I think it was the Press Democrat. And you could tell she was like, "Oh, great!" You know, she kind of knew what we were going to ask her, and and but even you know, they all had 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 questions. There there was a local bookstore, and she was like, "There's no way that that this this guy did this." Well, we come back two day or two two weeks later, nobody wants mm-hmm. to talk about it. Nobody, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. like, did did they get the word to just shut up? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. They bought it. They oh bought yeah. It at that point, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's almost it's like Stepford Wives up there, man. It really is. <laughs> I'm telling you. I, I mean, you know what? That's why when I got divorced, I, I was living in Murphy's at, at the time. I got divorced. I was out. I, I was out of there in a few months. I moved to Tahoe. I, I didn't. It's you know, number one. I mean, not, not that I was young. I moved up there in '89 after I left the police department, and um, I saw I had a Gold's Gym in Foster City. I left and I sold everything. Went up there, and it was great back then. Um, but you know, I, I was just a regular guy up there. I wasn't doing much. I didn't, I didn't get in the bail bond business until I sold out of the country club. I, and that was probably 90, 1993 and still didn't see a whole lot of stuff going on. It wasn't until I got involved with bounty hunting and then Mariposa popped in and it came in the picture. Then I ended up getting the Yosemite case, which just happened. That just happened to have a guy I believe was involved in the years, you know, and, um, you know, from then on, I didn't trust, I don't, I didn't trust law enforcement out there. You know, I mean, I, I, I when I see, let me digress, when I go to the house, Clifford, Clifford Watkins was gone and such. You know, he was a really, really bad guy. I checked with state parole. This guy's a shooter. Matter of fact, the first thing he said when Ron and I were interviewing him in Shasta County was, he told me that first night he was behind the door with a forty caliber. He said, I wouldn't be able to kill you. 
and nothing would have happened to me, you know. And then when I started looking for him, some of my some of my witnesses were threatened, and they actually one witness uh, that lived in a house he was being caretaken by an older man, really nice guy. Uh, Cliff Watkins went over and poured lighter fluid on the kid one day outside and lit him on fire. So the, you know, and that was covered up, okay. And 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 fast forward from there, one of my football players is getting married at Angels camp, and his new mother-in-law is Cliff Watkins' former wife. She breaks down crying at the reception, telling me how uh, she, how Cliff was being being notified every time I came to town. The sheriff's department would call him. You know, I mean that's a really dangerous situation, and that's how the corruption was there. And even with Calaveras County, they protected Calvert Candler because uh, in the book I write about my partner after after the assembly after um, we caught Candler and everything. Rick lived in Arnold, and Candler had lived there right in, with about four blocks away, believe it or not. Rick, Rick one evening, evenings at the Shell station, and all of a sudden his window and his car gets punched out, his side window, he's hit in the face, he calls me, we go up there, we, we just had to see him how to be Candler. Rick couldn't really see him, but he just, you know, this doesn't happen every day in, in a town of 2,200 people. And we went to the gas station uh, when, after we went, we had to patch him up a little bit, did a couple cuts, and the gal there knew who he was. Candler bought his cigarettes and beer there every day, lived two blocks away, walked up there, Calaveras came out uh, on the assault on my partner, Rick James, great guy, rest in peace, and um, she, she IDs all that, I know Paul, it, the sheriff's department writes it up as Paul Chandler, not Chandler, and then we talked to the gal later, just like you were speaking with the other people, and she, she changed her tune also, you know, um, and, and a lot of this has to do with, there's so many people in the drug business, and the lower levels. They, they know that we know you're slinging crank or dope or whatever it is, and they, they get leverage on people. It's, and they get a little bit of leverage on you, and, and that leverage is usually because you, your hands are a little dirty or you know somebody who's, who's dirty, and they use that, you know. Um, and, that, and that's what's going on up there. Um, that's why I was telling you about Murphy's, possibly. When I was living up there in Murphy's, we, I met with Couch Winery and Steve Couch and those guys. We were going to uh, incorporate Murphy's away from uh, county jurisdiction. Uh, go through the League of uh, League of Cities in, in California because I, I, we saw the corruption up there, you know. Yeah, you saw it first firsthand. Yeah, um, I think it's it's probably getting worse. Um, okay, I want to kind of wrap this up here. Um, there's a few other. Oh, oh, real quickly. Yeah, please. Real quickly, let's touch upon um, the um, little bit of power brokers up there with the CIA. Okay, the Freemasons, you know, they're pretty much everywhere and such. And, and um, I spoke to you about the country club. Um, my partner, John Eklund, great guy. He was a GS-16 with the CIA. He was in the Phoenix Project. Um, he was actually being groomed for um, Bill Casey's job as a director one time. And um, we spoke about Philip Marshall being up there with his ties to the company and Barry Seal. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of law enforcement guys living up there. And we talked about possibly... That that area is a, is a, is a cell for for uh, you know government operations or, or things like that. Just like Mina, Mina's not even on the map, and we we spoke about that. So that's something that maybe we can talk about later on. I'll do a little bit more research with Greg on that. But um, there's you know there's my partner came from you know Virginia, and um, he also built all the windmills. John Eklund built the windmills on uh, 580 and such. But um, you know it's kind of ironic that we get, we get these people that are high. High um, government positions that end up in a small town. Yeah, 
<laughs> what a coincidence, you know, nothing. Yeah, there you go. Okay, that's, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Pretty much is what they did. We yeah. All the time, right? I mean, sure. yeah, I was, I, I was a little shocked. Um, I guess I shouldn't have been. Almost every town, every small town, there is a mason, either a mason temple, there's a mason mm-hmm. building, a freemate. They're, they're literally mm-hmm. everywhere. They're in, they're in, they're in Dunsmere, California, and Dunsmere, California yeah. is a tiny, tiny mm-hmm. little place. And I'm like, what right. are they doing here? And I asked some of of my family, like, oh, you know, they're just just a group. They they do a charity. They give to the local charities, this and that. It's like people mm-hmm. really have no idea how powerful and how influential these mm-hmm. these guys can be. My my view on the Freemasons, especially in that area, there's no way that they do not know uh mm-hmm. what happened with philip philip marshall mm-hmm. i'm not going to say that they were involved in it or anything but there's no mm-hmm. way that something like that happens in in their town and they don't find out mm-hmm. what the real deal is it, 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 exactly when i became partners in 1989 with john eklund and um what is one other fella um what, like i said once you're in in the cia or, or, or we call it the company you're never out and, and, and if you're going to be a partner in business and and, and, and here's the thing is that they, when you get out of the CIA, they sometimes give you a choice of, of I'll like, we'll call them cell stations, but in, you know, you know, you can live your life and everything, but they'll, they'll set you up into another business um, because you really can't go out there and you know, you just don't start. You know, you've been a, you know, the CIA for so many years, um, and you know, they're all sharp guys, but they'll set you up with something that kind of fits in the norm. And, and then, you know, the three of us bought the country club up there. It was nothing unusual. I thought about it, uh, except. Um, like I, like I did speak about the, the the Swedish guy that came out every every six months or so, and we sat down and had a few drinks, and he was mar- married to an Israeli colonel. Um, <laughs> you know, it kind of it kind of opens your eyes up um, to what's going on up there. Why would John be visited by this guy? So you know, that in, on, on the surface of it, it doesn't look too bad, but as as we look into a little bit more, but um, in Philip Marshall, I just I'll just like to say, you know, God rest his soul with his his family and stuff like that, but um, we had this group of ours on Facebook, um, you know, if we can, we can, you know, make make him, get him uh, clean on this thing, that would be our goal, so that, you know, just to show people that he, he isn't the guy who did this. Definitely, and that's why it's so great when you when you offered to help, you know, to, to do whatever you possibly could, uh, because, you know, we definitely need that, and I think... Um, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of us that are are not going to stop asking questions and that are not going to, mm-hmm. you know, just let this thing die. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, whether it's because Philip Marshall, because people liked his views on September 11th, whether it's because there's children involved, you know, there's all these different reasons why we should figure out what happens. This could happen to anybody. This could happen to mm-hmm. a lot of people. There could be people right. out there right, right now that are thinking about writing a similar book on Mina, on you know uh, all of these mm-hmm. different different places, things like this, they take that as a a warning shot that well you know what maybe I'm not going to write this book, maybe I'm not going to tell this this, this mm-hmm. story, and even though the whole concert thing happened a long time time ago, it's like you know, there's probably still people out there who. Um, you know, still have that that is it's like okay. Well, maybe I can. Maybe so much time has has passed that maybe I won't be this this big threat. But um, you know, I just say, 
you know, it's it's so humbling and it's so nice to meet people that aren't scared. So I'm I'm really glad that you're um, I'm glad that you're part of this group because we definitely need you. <laughs> oh no, that. thank you for thank and, you thank you for having me in this group. <laughs> absolutely, and just looking over some of the stuff that 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 you've done and some of the stuff that you've been involved in, and to say that you're still here, you know, um, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a true blessing it's it's been really a blessing to just chat chat with you and you know sometimes you chat with people and it's just like you're chatting like like you knew this guy your whole life and that's kind of the feeling that i got when we started oh, chatting, so. oh same here greg I, I, I thank you very much absolutely i do got a few more things here i just wanted to kind of run run by sure. you here um philip marshall was last seen on January 31st, 2013, we know that the murders uh, happened a couple days after. And likewise, the last documented communication from Alex Marshall was also on January 13th. Alex sent mm -hmm. a, a message at 10.40 p.m. His sister made her last documented communication via cell phone at 10.10 that same night. So n there's no more communication um, after... January 30, 31st, 2013, before midnight. Um, and then uh, his daughter, she used her cell phone to take a self-portrait at 10.55. After that, there's nothing. So we're talking about, what, three, four, four days of just missing time or ho however you want right. to call it. You know, it, we're just, we don't know. So I know some of us were thinking a hostage situation possibly mm -hmm. maybe maybe they were trying to get something from marshall and maybe he gave it to them maybe he he didn't we um had a tip about a dead man switch that um kind of to me felt like a trap because they wanted us uh -huh. to go back to the actual property and said that there was stuff there on the property and you know, I was a little reluctant because we had already already been there, and I kind of felt like we were we were being set up to go back there, and then they get sure. a trespassing thing or something like that. But whatever it is, um, you know, there are a lot of people who uh, private who privately, you know, will help us out, will try to help us out, um, and uh, we just, you know, it's it's so nice to have you to have people like you with Greg. Greg Ford have all of these great people who are uh, not scared to actually come forward and you know offer some help and offer some some tips and I'm definitely going to be you know re I'm, I'm going to go through uh, all this documentation all the stuff that I do have and I, I'd love to privately probably run run some ideas past you and just kind of run some of these tips by you and see what you what you think about that um that's sure, no, I'd love to. Yeah, just, just get a hold of me anytime. We'll talk about it. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Because, again, it goes back to Marshall, and they were saying he was dependent on drugs. He had the depression. Uh, he was, quote-unquote, grounded as a pilot in, two, in, in September of 2006. He was diagnosed with bi, bipolar, being bipolar. All of these things... I think subconsciously to the average uh, person who's just reading this, it's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah, he had, he was bipolar, he was depressed, he had, you know, these uh, mental problems, he was broke. I mean, they actually tried to say that, you know, that Philip Marshall was broke. I'm like, have you guys seen his house? That's it. That's like, and he's got the other, yeah. the, the uh -huh. other Santa Barbara house. I don't think he was broke at all. I, no. I, 
don't no. really buy that. Um, let's see some of the other things. Yeah, he was under a care of, of some, some doctor. I did want to know more about that doctor. I would like to know more about the pain meds, but the toxicology, there really wasn't too much there, so I'll be curious. I'm going to send those to you, too, and maybe you can kind of... Um, oh, great. Sure. ...notice any, anything strange about that. Um, Philip Marshall's first wife, I found it really curious that she was like, you know what, um, she basically said that Philip Marshall was not that involved with Barry, Barry Seal. Um, we know that Philip Marshall, you know, claimed to be Barry Seal's taxi driver. She said that that was not true. But at the same time, Philip Marshall's first wife also said that there would be times where Philip Marshall would be gone. And she wouldn't know what he was he was doing, which is something we see with these quote unquote taxi taxi drivers or people that are sure. involved in this stuff. They just disappear for a couple weeks. Um, oh, absolutely. There's the uh, theory absolutely. That, um, that the uh, kids were not supposed to actually be there; that they were supposed to. Be, and I think that came from Wayne Matson too. Um, it's Philip Marshall's second wife, uh, who he uh, Sean. She was. She went to Turkey, I believe, during this this time. So she was out of the country, if I'm not mistaken. But there was. Yeah, for that, that, yeah excuse yeah. me. I was going to say that that that's to the, that's to deny any plausibility with her involvement, and that that would that there's something with that dating. You know, Sheriff Coons up there. We can get into that later. But that get her out of the country at that time. That gets her. That totally negates her as a kind of suspect, or it puts it on her. If we get in trouble. She hired a hitman to do this, or hit team, or hated her husband, or something. And the kids were witnesses. We'll take them out. And what it does is shows all. Oh, look, she left the country. That means that she, she, you know, it would be, it'd be uh, reversed the other way around. So there's a lot. I think there's a question there myself. But go ahead. Definitely. Yeah. And there was somebody killed in Turkey who actually looked like like her. So I think Wayne Wayne Matson was thinking that maybe. Uh, oh. Exactly. Supposed to be Sean that was killed in. Turkey. Really, I didn't know about that one. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that to me was yeah, it was like wow, okay, mm. pretty shocking. And then I was like, well, Turkey, what the heck is she doing in Turkey? But um, yeah, she was she was getting like spices, so she was going over there and bringing you know bringing things back so that she could sell um, back in Murphy's and back in other small places. I didn't realize Philip uh, Phil actually set her up with that business, so there was a contact. Mm. There's a turkey contact, and mm. see, Turkey is also another uh, intelligence place too, mm -hmm. right? I mean, sure. You know, it's, it's just all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, what is going on? They're moving these people around, but there is one one theory is that the, the kids were not supposed to be with Marshall, uh, with Philip Marshall during that time, and they just happened to be there because that that dog was actually uh, Sean's dog, um, or was staying at, at Sean's house. That, oh. that dog was, was not, did, did not live with Philip, Phil Marshall either. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a few interesting things of, about that. Um, the other thing, I guess the last thing about Sean Marshall, because I did try to reach out to her on Facebook, and she just was not, she was not having it. Which I get, whatever, you know, it's some random guy. Who the heck is this guy trying to reach out to me? <laughs> but, you know, um, I guess after this happened, she had all of the kids over. And so it, I thought that was kind of weird, too. It's like, okay, 
Is she doing that to protect herself, to make sure nothing happens to her? But I guess there was some weird, some of the kids that were there, um, so, okay, so the, you know, the three murders happen uh, maybe a day or two later when Sean gets, gets, gets back. She has all of the uh, kids' friends, they all sleep over there, which is kind of weird. And I guess there were some questions about the behavior. There might have been some, I don't want to get too deep into that, but there might have been, oh. basically, she was not, she was not acting sane, I guess. And maybe that's mm-hmm. just because of everything that happened. She had just lost her two, her two kids, so I can totally get that. But, um, you know, I just kind of felt like, was she trying to protect herself having all these kids over all these people so that you know mm-hmm. to make sure that whoever came after phil marshall and her kids didn't try to come after her too and then when i found out that she had gotten with gary gary Kuntz, the sheriff at the, at the time i was wondering okay well when did that start and then gary Kuntz, since i think you, you said he passed away i know he passed away but um it was like a couple years ago maybe right sure yeah it was not a heart attack yeah, yeah okay. heart attack. Heart attack. which I thought I thought that was kind of weird too but when when it came out that uh, you know Sean and Gary Coons were there was something between them I was like this is getting this is getting really really weird mm-hmm. then they, they right. all of the kids have this 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 cat run they have a marathon um, and I'm like what are they doing this for and then everything is to make Phil look look bad. You know, everything is mm-hmm. Phil, Phil Marshall is this bad guy. Sean is this great great mom. Um, they have a there's a the Forest Meadows golf course. When when we were there, they had just done a charity. They raised like ten thousand dollars or something. Like, what are they raising this money for? What the hell is this for? Like, the, mm. everything is just. It was just really really odd. It just. Maybe the Stepford Wives might be the best way to really put it because <laughs> it just didn't make sense. We tried talking with the guy who, um, uh, I guess, who was running the golf course, you know, who, I don't know if he um, was the, the owner there or, or, or what. And very, very nice guy, but, you know, we tried to, tried to talk to him about Philip Marshall and he didn't really, really want to talk. He had a Bret Hart mm-hmm. football helmet there. So obviously he he had a son or somebody that was also um, going to Bret Hart at that same time too. But so that's that's a, that's the Dillashaw family, and um, as a matter of fact, his nephew TJ is the U- UFC world champion. So the Dillashaw no family, way. good people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at TJ Dillashaw is his nephew. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, sure. That's interesting. That's uh-huh. really interesting. Yeah. No, there's there's too there's too much that there's too much that happened after after this happened and occurred and it's interesting about the, the timeline you go back to just real quickly digress go back to the timeline of the last text from the girl and the photos and such and those are three days that makes sense if you add another day or so that him wearing the same clothes um you know i mean maybe they took care of him first and they, they had the kids alive for a short time i don't know you know um but that part and the other thing too is you know and i didn't i didn't put this public till about a year and a half ago when, when stuff was going on with myself is that uh, I was opened up by the FBI out of San Antonio, Texas, uh, and they, they used me um, online to track down uh, child predators, child porn, and white supremacists. And I was also with California DOJ at the time as an operative. And a very short time, no more, less, probably less than a year, but my, my ex-wife 
uh, a school teacher at Michelson and Murphy's. She never knew about it. I never told her about it. I would, it's, that, you know, there's no reason to tell her about it. So, is she, you know, um, Philip's first wife not knowing or never, you know, when you're, you know, when you when you're involved with an organization like that, you, you know, you don't want to talk about it. They tell you not to. So if he did fly with Barry Seal, touch it. You know, now him coming out with it, it might have been you no know, part of that. Him coming out telling people that is to say, hey, look, this might happen to me. Or it was like a warning publicly because not everybody's going to read his book. Just like I did with with eyes on me. I first time I said, hey, I had an NSA connection, a CIA connection. My partner's in the CIA. That's a fact. You can look at Square Wood. And my other things that I tell people is because, hey, you know, you know, I'm not just making this stuff up. There might be a reason that I disappear one day. You know. And that that's that may have been a reason he came out later with that. Interesting. That yeah, I think so. Yeah, because you know a lot of the guys like you know a lot of those guys, um, you know, especially operatives, people people on payroll, they're they're the ones who you know if, if you're married your wife's going to know you're with the company you know but if you're an operative, or or you're a money money guy, or, or a taxi driver as you say, then they're, they're not going to know about it. You know, they just won't. And plus, it endangers your family. As soon as you mention right. it out there, it's going to endanger your family. You know. Um, but Philip, Philip, Sam, Philip, like I said, Philip probably was in grave danger the minute he he, he did the, wrote the first book. You know, that's a great point. That, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. You know. All right, my friend. Any final words here before we uh, shut this segment down? Uh, no, I, I, I thank you, Greg, and all your listeners. And if they want to read Ultimate Prey, it's on Amazon, uh, and it's on uh, ebook and paperback. And uh, if you do buy, I'd love to hear any kind of reviews and such but I uh, thank you for your time and, and the interview and um, we'll talk later on awesome yeah I'm definitely going to purchase this this book I'm really fascinated by this now I want to I want to learn learn more I think I'm about um, I think I'm about 30 pages into the to the PDF but I do like okay. having a physical book so I, I will definitely sure. be, be buying this book um, oh, all great. right my friend thank you so much and all right buddy thank you I will, I will be in, in touch, and I have a lot more questions for you. <laughs> well, maybe we'll take a ride up to Murphy's together in the near future. That would be awesome. Yeah. All right, brother. Hope you have a good day. All right, my man. Take care. Stay in contact. All right. Thank you.